in uh, 1977, the fall of 77, the 17 year old version of me was having a life conversation with my youth pastor at the time. His name was Terry Eads. Yeah, just go ahead and take the take your take your best shot. <laughs> now remember this conversation. Uh, it was one of those moments, you know, that that you you remember. And I I was expressing with him that the frustration of my walk with God at 17 years old. I had a heart for God, and I wanted to follow God. I wanted to pursue God, and I wanted to do things right. And I was I expressed to him that I was frustrated with my own inconsistency in my relationship with God. I had good days. I had bad days. I had no days. Up and down. Uh, there was, didn't appear to be a lot of move towards maturity. There was an effort. There was a good will. There was an intention. There wasn't actual progress that I, that I could see towards maturity. And he listened patiently, as good youth pastors do. And knowingly, he simply opened the Bible and he shared this passage with me from the book of Second Timothy. He said, God said, or Paul said to Timothy in this passage, he said, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I've believed. Do you say believed or believed? Depends on your age, I think. I know who I've believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Now, I grew up in a traditional church, and there was actually a hymn that we used to sing that had those very words in it. So I was familiar with those words. I'd heard them all my life growing up. It was on the cycle. You know, about every six weeks, you'd sing your favorite hymns, and that was one of them. But those words had never become life to me until that moment. And in that moment, a transformation began in me. Because for the first time, I saw the practical application of the Word of God being laid over my life and penetrating who I am. You see, that passage of Scripture revealed to me that if I were to take something to God and to pass it off to Him, to relinquish control of it and give it to Him, that He would be faithful to hold on to it and not give it back. Now, I don't know how well all of you know God, but assuming that you've walked with God any length of time, I don't think it's hard for you to imagine that when God's got something that He doesn't want you to have and you go back and ask for it, He doesn't have a bit of trouble telling me no. God's pretty good at saying no. He does it a lot. And I learned that if I would take whatever it was I was dealing with and give it to God, truly give it over to Him, anytime I wanted it back, where would I have to go to get it? I had to go to God to get it. And I'd ask God, God, can I have that back? And God said, I don't think so. And suddenly, for me, the words in the Bible became relevant. They were real. They were life. They had meaning that could transform me. They had meaning that could, could actually affect change in my life. As a matter of fact, the, the Apostle Paul in this same letter to his young disciple Timothy, he wrote these words about the Bible. He said, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. 
that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The word perfect there actually means complete. That the man of God may be complete, fully equipped, fully furnished to do all works, all good works. Do you understand that if this is to be true, if the words that we're reading there are to be true, we recognize that the Word of God gives us everything that we need. Doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness. Every, all of the tools in our tool belt of life, everything that we need can be found there so that we can be complete in our walk with Him. And again, as I discovered these nuggets of truth, they began to have impact on my life. They began to change who I am and how I approached God and how I allowed God to approach me. They really became life. I think that it's this fundamental faith in the Word of God, the strength of God. And, and for those of you that may not be familiar, if I, if I use a word like a phrase like the Word of God, I'm talking about the Bible. I'm talking about God's recorded Word to us. The words that God Himself spoke are the words that God Himself revealed for us. The Word of God has become foundational for who I am. There is a foundational understanding in my life about the value of God's Word in shaping who I am and the direction of my life. Unfortunately, I think we're not all there. I don't think we all have learned to appreciate the value of that in our lives. I think some of us want to be there but we haven't yet found the tools and the mechanism to get us there. And so today, part of my objective for you is to reveal some of the, the passion that I have for the value of God's Word in our life. We've been, we're in this Unleashed series and we've been talking about uh, the, the first century church, the early church, as Jesus has come to the earth and, and He walked with them and as Matt just shared so uh, beautifully that the disciples were crushed. Their dreams, their visions, everything was just taken away from them and they found themselves uh, in a very difficult place. Jesus came back from the dead. He walked with them for 40 days. He instructed them. He taught them. He gave them hope once again. And then He went to heaven to sit at the right hand of God. And I don't know how often you've read that story or you've walked through there and tried to feel the emotion of the disciples and how you try to connect with them on a real world basis because this is not just a fairy tale. This is stuff that actually happened. And I don't just read those passages and those accounts as historical documentation, although they're valid for that. But I read those as human interaction with Almighty God. And as I read that passage and as I sense what those disciples must have felt, they find themselves going back to the Word for their anchor. As a matter of fact, the passage that we've been looking at for a while here is in Acts chapter 2. And you remember Peter stands up and he declares to the people out of the book of Joel, he begins to quote passages from the Old Testament. And in, in the, the section of Scripture that we're focused on so heavily in this entire series, this Acts chapter 2 section, it's based out of... The, a revelation of the Word of God connecting the Old Testament stuff that they were all familiar with because they'd studied it as young children. They'd studied it in a synagogue. But He connected it to life application, to meaning today. He connected the dots for them. And suddenly they had revelation and their lives were changed. As a matter of fact, 
It goes beyond their lives being changed. History was changed. The entire course of history was changed as a result of that interaction. I've learned these things. Um, I've learned to depend upon, to rely upon, to run to God's Word. Not because it's the right thing for me to do. Not because it's the right thing for me to say when I'm up here on the platform on a Sunday morning in front of all of you. But out of life experience, I've learned that I need what's enclosed and encased in the, in the words of, the, of that book. As a matter of fact, in Isaiah chapter 55, we read these words, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. I'm going to pause right there. Do you understand? We could stop right there with that phrase. And the, the people in this room that are in my life group could tell you I can rant and ramble about just about anything. <laughs> I could spend the entire morning right here. God said, the Lord said, my thoughts are not the same as your thoughts. And my ways are higher than your ways. And you see, for me, that's a frame of reference that says, all right, I'm fallen man. I'm weak man. I'm a man of need and dependence. And I need to know what God's ways are. And I need to know what God's thoughts are. And in case you've been misled, I hope you understand today that God's thoughts and God's ways are not meant to be some unattainable mystery in your life. God did not set it up so that you could never figure it out. As a matter of fact, He gave us a very good guidebook right here. A very good manual that will help us to understand what His thoughts are and His ways are. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You see, God's word has purpose. It's filled with purpose. It is, it's ingrained throughout its entirety. Is purpose. God's Word has purpose and its purpose is, is meaning for us, for our lives. God's Word has purpose and its purpose is to be used in our lives. It's for direction. It's for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness like we saw from 2 Timothy earlier. God's Word has real world value. And today I want you to, to connect the dots from God's Word, this religious book that gets dusty because it sits on your shelf from Sunday afternoon to early Sunday morning, and you go pick it up and you bring it to church because you don't, be the, you don't want to be the only one there that doesn't have the Bible unless you've got a smartphone with the Bible on it. Then you've got, you got a free pass. You could pretend to have a smartphone with the Bible on it and, and get a free pass these days. But I, I fear that way too often, all too often in our lives, those that... that that tool in our arsenal is not applied in a meaningful and effective and practical way. Another story. I remember when I was in college, my, uh, one of my professors, Dr. Buzzy Green, was uh, a mentor to me. And I spent some time with him early on talking about um, 
struggles once again. I was actually struggling with sin. Yes, that is my yearbook picture from my freshman year in college. I don't know who that other girl is. Um, I, I remember struggling with sin and going to Dr. Green, who had, who had take, kind of taken me under his wing to care for me and to, to lead me in, on the spiritual path. And I said, I'm, I'm struggling with sin. Do any of you ever struggle with sin? Oh, let's just pause here for a moment. You can take that picture off if you wanted to. We don't need to keep looking at that. But let's, let's pause here for a moment and, and let's just think about this. Do you ever struggle with sin? Are you ever confronted with your own sin? Because I, this is a parenthetical. Um, but if you're not confronted with sin, and if you're not convicted of sin in your life, I, I, I want to just kind of wave a red flag and say, I don't think you're listening. Because all of us, struggle with sin. All of us deal with weakness. And if you're not struggling with that, if you don't have if you're not wrestling with God over your own failures, then you're probably not paying attention to what God's saying to you. Okay, end of parent. Get off a little soapbox there. Back to Dr. Green. I was sharing with him my own struggles with sin as a freshman in college. And Dr. Green said to me, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. And once again, the words of Scripture, the words on the page, jumped off, penetrated my heart, and became life to me. Because for the first time in my life, I was set free. John chapter 8 says, You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. The, the truth of the Word of God penetrated my heart and made me free because I realized that I could not blame all of my sin, all of my struggling, all my weakness on God saying that He allowed all that to come to me somehow. God says right here in His Word, I'll never let more come your way than you are equipped to handle. That's a promise that since that day, all the rest of my life, I have, I have rested on that promise. Time and time again, when I'm facing a struggle, when I'm facing difficulty, I'll run back to that passage. And in prayer to God, I'll cry out, God, You said, You said, Your Word. In fact, the Bible says it's okay for us to put God in remembrance of His own Word. And so I'll run back to God and say, God, I'm reminding you of what you said. You said that you would never allow something to come at me that was more than I can bear. And somehow in that process, it translates into me that God said, you can bear more than you think you can bear. You can rest on me and you and I together can get through this difficulty. Various times throughout my life, situations that I could go back. I, 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 I've listed for you a couple here, but I could literally go back through situation after situation after situation in my life and tell you about how God's Word has come up, has, has bubbled up and set me free. There was the time, there was that young lady at work that I just couldn't stop thinking about. 
we'd been married a couple of years, I don't know, several years actually, and um, had a couple of kids, and I, nothing ever happened, but I woke up every morning thinking about this lady at work. It was terrible. And God's Word says that the deeds of men are evil when they're done in darkness, but when they're done in light, the light of God shines on them. Men are set free. And I went to my wife, and I brought that darkness into the light, and I confessed to her the vain imaginations that Corinthians talks about in my mind. Vain, empty imaginations that were going on just in my mind. And the minute that I brought that to the light and shared it with her, it was broken. Its power was broken. Because of the power of the Word of God, it became life to me. I acted upon it and it changed who I am. That's continued to happen throughout my life. I remember the time I was wrongfully accused at work. I was told that that I had offended someone and and I had done it by doing XYZ and I had not done XYZ. And yet the offense was there and I had to go deal with it. And it was a gut shot to me. It was a smear on my name, on my good name. And it was all kinds of stuff. It was wrong. It was a lie. It was an untruth. And again, I ran back to God's Word. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And that comfort gave me the courage to go confess and repent for whatever I had done and to take the high road and to do the godly thing. Time after time in my life. But you know, today's really not about a history lesson of Dan's life. What does it all mean today in reality? Nine weeks ago, I lost my job. For seven and a half years, I had a really good job. And um, I made a good income for my family. And we had a good life. And it came to an end. And it came to an end rather abruptly. And it came to an end rather painfully. So I did what I thought I needed to do. I began to build a resume. I hadn't built a resume in 30 years. I had seen other people's resumes, but I had no idea how to build a resume. I drafted my first draft of the resume and I sent it to my kids because they've been to college. And I said, you guys review my resume. And, you know, they came back with several things, suggestions, one of which was, you sound like an old guy, Dad. <laughs> Jeremy, my son, who's a recent college grad, sent back a PDF marked up with about 100 comments <laughs> all over the place on it. So I got some coaching. I got some counsel. Spent several days putting together what I thought and hoped was a quality resume. Then I begin the process of going online, a process I'm sure many of you in this room are familiar with. And I applied for jobs, and I contacted people, and I emailed organizations, and I made it my business to work hard every day. I got up early every day. I, I, <laughs> I didn't clean the house. I didn't do the dishes. I sat at the computer all day long, pumping those resumes out to everybody I can get them to. And then over the course of... A couple of weeks, I think I sent out around 150 resumes. I didn't keep an accurate count, but somewhere realistically in that range. 150 resumes. And I got not one response. Not one. And I got pretty discouraged. It really hit me 
God, I'm doing all the right stuff. I'm doing what you tell me to do. I'm not. At no time did I accuse God of of messing up in, in any of this. I expect, God, that you're going to provide for me and provide for my family. I'm certainly willing to work. I'm not afraid of, of hard work. I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. And I don't need a position of esteem or, or you know, a, a, a title. I don't need any of that. I just want to take care of my family, God, and do what you instructed me to do. But I'm not feeling like I'm getting any cooperation here. And I, I have these kinds of conversations with God. God, it seems like I'm the one doing all the talking. And all you're doing is sitting there listening. And I need you to do a little talking, God. And I had a really rough time. How many of you have been in a situation, whether it's job-related or not, similar to that, where God just seems to be quiet? It got so bad that I even joined Facebook. You know I'd hit rock bottom. <laughs> Go ahead, friend me. I dare you. <laughs> so one day in the midst of all of this, I was reading my Bible and I came across Isaiah chapter 55. And I read these words. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, that's me! You who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Leave that slide up there for a minute. I read that, and the first thing that jumped off the page was, yeah, I don't have any money. This must be for me. God's writing to me. I better pay attention. So I went back and I slowed down and I read it again. And the very first word just hooked me. God said, come. Come to me. And I paused. I got quiet. And I thought, okay, God, I've come to you. But I've come to you on my terms. And I've come to you with my expectation and I've come to you with my needs. But God, I'm going to lay all that down and I'm going to come to you in your way, on your terms. And I yielded myself. I, I, I allowed my, my heart and my spirit to break. And the truth is, some anger and resentment and dissatisfaction with God was probably buried in all of that. No probably about it. It was there. So I came to God. I went to God. And I was one who was thirsty. I was one who needed my thirst quenched. But this, this one grabbed me. He said, come buy and eat. You don't have any money? Come buy. I thought, well, God, if I don't have any money, how am I going to buy? He said, come buy wine and milk without money. Well, how do you buy something without money? Why didn't God say, come and I'll give you wine and milk? But He said, come buy it. And I thought, what am I going to buy it with if I don't have any money? And I, I wrestled with God about this. And I felt God say to me, 
the purchase price for you is the coming. I had to come to receive. And when I came to His presence, when I went to His presence, that was how I bought what it was that He wanted to give to me. We have such a very narrow focus of God's economy. But in this passage of Scripture, God took the Word, His Word, and He, through the power of His Spirit, He revealed to me a little bit more about His economy, His way of transacting with man, His way of interacting with us. And it became life to me. It began to change me. And by the way, just as a side note, I do have another job, so... Thank you, God. In Acts chapter 1, we've read, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Power. Remember Jeff talking about power a few weeks ago. In Acts chapter 2, last week we read it, and we're going to continue to stay in this passage for a while. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread. There was, in this time, in this season of their lives, there was a dependence upon God's Word interacting in their lives in a way they had never known or experienced before. The Scripture says they went to the synagogue daily and they were fellowshipping and they were hanging out with one another on a daily basis and they were listening to the apostles' teaching. Well, what do you think the apostles were teaching? They were teaching the Old Testament and they were teaching the new words of Jesus. And imagine how bold this was for them to declare the Word of God. This is the Word of God. This is the Word of God that came from this man. You understand in their religious society how radical that was. And how risky it was for them to go out on a limb and declare, this is the Word of God, the words that Jesus spoke. And yet these men had interacted with Him. They had been with Him. They had been in His presence. They had come to Him. You remember Jesus said the same thing to the disciples. When He went out to them, they were fishing. And He said, come, follow Me. And those guys, on those three words, they left everything They left their lives, their livelihood, their careers, their families. They left everything they knew to follow Him. And then over a course of a couple of years, and especially this last season, these last several weeks, they had had interaction with the Almighty God and it rocked their world. It shook them to the very core of every one of their understandings. And yet they knew that it was truth. And truth would make them free. The church began to form and it became an integral part of their lives. But an integral part of that formation was a knowledge of the Scripture, was a knowledge of the Word of God. So here's where we need to break this down to the practical. If we're going to take the words of God recorded in His Bible and somehow apply them to our lives, there are several things that I think we can do. um, And these will be your takeaways for the day. Several things I think we can do to kind of help make that connection. We start with, you've got to come to the table. Now, at our house, I don't do much to prepare the food because I'm the man of the house. 
I just said that out loud, didn't I? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'll pay for that one. I know, really, I don't do much to prepare the food because I'm pretty lousy at it. But I have a wonderful family, and they prepare wonderful food uh, all the time. Now, I just have to tell you, one of Lucinda's really pet peeves is when she works hard to put a meal together, and she's got everything timed where it comes out of the oven at the same time, and everything's hot, and she gets it over to the table, and she said, all right, dinner's ready, let's go. And... You know, we want to wait for the commercial or we choose that time to go take the trash out or maybe the dog has to go out right now or whatever it may be. I'm guilty. I stand before you guilty as charged. I have upset her on numerous occasions because she's worked very hard to prepare the meal. But you see, I'm not going to receive the nourishment from it unless I come to the table. And so... The first thing I would say to all of us is we've got to come to the table. God has a meal for us. Oh my goodness, does God have a meal for us. God has a meal for us right here. You don't even know how good it is. You can't begin to know how good it is. There there is a meal here that will blow your socks off. But if you don't come to the table, you'll never know. You'll never appreciate it. You'll never enjoy it, and you'll never benefit from it. Part of that coming is to expect good stuff. I've been married to my wife over 30 years, and I can tell you when I go to the table, I expect it's going to be good. Matter of fact, just another little confession time here. I'm guilty. I expect it to be good. It's good all the time. I don't compliment her nearly enough because it's just always good. Guilty. Honey, it's really good. Your cooking's always really good. That didn't buy me anything, guys. <laughs> Secondly, we got to pay attention. Do you have family dinners? Do you guys ever sit down at the table with your whole family? Do you ever just listen when you're doing that? Do you ever just pay attention? Observe what's happening? I learn all kinds of stuff from my family just by listening. They talk. They laugh. They pick at each other. They aggravate each other. They throw food. No, they don't throw food. But it's, it's, it's life. But I pay attention to that. That's good stuff for me. You know, when we're interacting with God and God's Word, and we're feeding on His Word, and when we're doing that together as a family, pay attention to what's going on around you. Pay attention to what God's saying. Pay attention to what's being revealed. Because it has value. It has meaning. Friday night, we have life group. And uh, this past Friday night, I saw a beautiful picture. Little Addie's two years old. She's, she's there with us in the middle of the group. We've got our life group members are all around the room in a big circle. And Addie's right in the middle of the floor playing with toys. And she's oblivious to us. She doesn't even know that we're in the room. She's talking to herself. She's talking to the toys. She went over and talked to Mommy. She does, she's not even aware that we're there. And I thought, how much is that just like us? We're in the presence of God and we're so consumed with talking to ourselves and talking to one another that we never even hear what's being said. It's like, have you ever been driving down the road kind of lost in yourself, lost in your thoughts, maybe lost in the radio, whatever, and uh, suddenly there's an emergency vehicle right behind you that's been following you and he can't get around and he blows it. Whoop, whoop. 
You ever had that happen? It kind of shakes you up like everything. You get out of the way so that the emergency vehicle can go on. Not so he can pull you over and give you a ticket. Have you ever been like that with God? Where you're just kind of clueless. You're not paying attention. And God has to get your attention somehow to say, listen to me. I want to interact with you. Thirdly, make a decision. We have got to, we've got to move beyond just listening. Come here. Sit there. Let whoever's here kind of throw it out at you. Go out and talk about it. Say, yeah, that was good or that wasn't good or that was a, that was a you know, eight out of ten, whatever. We've got to go beyond that to take these words. As I, as I revealed to you in situations in my life where that word becomes real in my life, where it becomes application laid over, it's time for us to connect the dots, make a decision to move on with God and to allow His word, permit His word, open our hearts up to allow that to penetrate who we are. And finally, we need to become accountable. There are some great tools out there right now. Matter of fact, I love every day that uh, I don't get on Facebook every day anymore. That was kind of a little, little season in my life. But occasionally I'll still get on. And every time I get on, there is a post on there that Brent Avery is reading day number whatever of his daily Bible reading. I love it. There is a great accountability that Brent's saying every day I'm reading such and such day of my daily Bible reading and he's broadcasting it to the world. I love that. I did notice, Brent, that there were six or eight days there where you read the same thing. I don't know if... <laughs> uh, I, I have a smartphone that's got version on it. The, the free Bible. If you don't have that and you have a smartphone, you need to get that. Because it keeps the Word at your disposal all day long. There's some great reading plans in there. As a matter of fact, they're kind of pushing right now the top 100. And you can, in 100 days, you can read through all the major events of the Bible. It's a great exercise for you. It's a great thing for you to do. And finally, when you came in today, you were, you were given one of these. This is what's called a soap guide. And those four points that I just gave you, where we talked about come to the table, pay attention, make a decision, become accountable, I can restate all four of those points in this way. SOAP, stands, S-O-A-P, stands for Scripture, Observation, Application, and Prayer. When you came in today, you were given this guide. And I want you to take this with you. And I want to encourage you to do this. And I, I put mine up here on just a, a yellow pad. Nothing fancy. You don't have to buy any big book or print any big form or any of that stuff. Just took a yellow pad and I wrote soap across it. Scripture. And you put down the Scripture that you're reading. You go through that Scripture and just read it carefully and listen. The next, next line there is for observation. And as you read that Scripture and you meditate on that Scripture, you think about it for a minute, you observe what's in that Scripture passage and write it down. Actually record it. I'm going to encourage you to do this because it's a wonderful tool. It's a powerful tool. The third section is for application. How does that little passage of Scripture that I just read, how can it make practical application to my life? And in this guide, we've given you uh, enough to get you through the end of November. If you'll read just a chapter a day and go through that, and at the end, after you've written down the application in a practical way to your life, then just write down a prayer. God, I need your help here. God, I intend to do this. God, thank you for showing me this, whatever that may be in your life. Let soap be used to allow the Word of God to cleanse you 
and to heal you and to restore you and to help you build your passion for knowing Him through His Word. There's an amazing potential in you. An amazing potential. It won't ever get out all that's in there for you to be if you don't allow God's Word to do its work in your life. I'm evidence of that. I've seen the evidence in many of you. But there's so much more that God wants to give to us. Will you stand with me? God, I found your words, the Scripture says, and I did eat them. I took them in and I ingested them and, and they were nutrition to my soul. But God, I thank you that you have revealed yourself in such a wonderfully, wonderfully practical way for us. And God, I pray that today your word would become life the people in this room. That it would not just be historical, dry, dusty, musty document, but it would be transformed into life. I pray, God, that by the renewing of our minds, we would be transformed through the power of Your Word. We yield ourselves to You, God. We open ourselves to You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.